Okay, we're going to be continuing our series on uh, our statement of faith. And uh, is this working? It's doing good? All right, so we're going to continue our series on our statement of faith. If you open up to Matthew 24, we'll be starting there. We're going to be talking about the second coming of Christ to the planet Earth. And I really love those lyrics today in the praise and worship when it said the whole earth shakes. The whole earth shakes. In fact, I feel like retitling this message, the whole earth shakes, because uh, there's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes back. And you got a lot of powerful people that just want to just want to crush the little people, the peasants, in the way they think. And uh, King Jesus is good, and King Jesus is coming back, and he will take what's rightfully his. So uh, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer that he anoints the, uh, the, the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, your son is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. You raised him from the dead to conquer death for us. And so I pray, Lord, that right now you'd, you'd forgive me my sins. You'd forgive all of us our sins. That you would anoint me, that you would cancel the man you call fallible men to proclaim your infallible, your perfect truth, your perfect word. And so I pray, Lord, I would not stand in the way. Cancel the man and anoint me with your spirit. Empower me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. Pray you'd open hearts and minds to accept your truth and to understand your truth and empower us to apply your truth so that we could live to build your kingdom and not our own until that day when your son, the Lord Jesus, returns in glory. Pray you remind all of us that the Bible is God's word, and if God has spoken, uh, we need uh, to cling to that and to test all things with that, including what is said from this pulpit today, that we test all things with your word, for your word is the final authority in what we believe, and in what we do. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, uh, so we're going over to Trinity Bible Fellowship Statement of Faith, and I think that's important. You know, we're Christians, and uh, I want us to know what it is that we believe. Um, if we're going to stand for the faith, if we're not going to cave in to the powers that be on this planet, when they try to get us to deny Jesus, I want us to firmly know what it is we're standing for. What makes us Christians and solid Christians and biblical Christians rather than just following the spirit of the age? And right now, when you talk about politics, I mean, a lot of people say, Fernandez, stay in your lane. Just, uh, just preach the word. Stop talking about politics all the time. Let me tell you, we're living in a day and age, okay, where it's the deification of the state, where the state wants to be God. They want, the state thinks they got the authority. You can give us advice if you want, but you don't have the authority to shut down the churches. God did not institute human government to govern over the churches, okay? Jesus is the head of the church. And so I want us to be really clear that we believe that the Bible is God's word totally without error. 
Okay, it's the final authority upon which all other things are bitter and sustainer of the universe. There are angels and demons. Satan is real. There are good angels that do the work of God. There are fallen angels and Satan that try to disrupt that work. And they're active in our lives, whether we know it or not. Okay? Some days, and it's, it's tough to figure out what's what. Someday I hear a little voice in my head. Sounds like my voice. A nice angelic ring to it. And uh, hear a little voice in my head that says, hey, sleep an extra hour, man. You need to rest. And, you know, sometimes that's, that's the voice of God. But sometimes that's the voice of the evil one trying to get Phil Fernandez to be a lazy bum and not be all that God called me to be today, you know? I mean, when I was at McDonald's that one day, and I, was, I didn't want to miss the, the start of the Notre Dame-Clemson game. I wanted to just pick up my food and get out the door and go. And uh, there was a voice in my head saying, just, just, just say, hey, I'm busy to everybody that wanted to talk to me and keep going. But there was another voice in my head saying, no. You got to love people. You got to spend time with people. Did, you know, does Phil Fernandez love people more than a Notre Dame football game? I hope so. I missed the whole first half of that game. And without me cheering for them, they lost too. So, you know, but, uh, but whatever the case, don't, let, don't ever let anybody convince you that Satan and his demons and angels are not real. They're real. And two extremes we've got to avoid. One is don't blame everything on Satan. If you, if you punch somebody in the nose, don't blame Satan and his demons, okay? Look in the mirror. Uh, but they are real, and we're responsible to disobey them, to reject them, and to follow the Lord. But the Lord will send his angels to protect us. And um, now if God sends you an angel, that's great. You're not, if, you're, if you're trying to initiate contact with the spirit realm, you only go to three persons, the one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You don't invoke Mary or the saints. You don't invoke Michael the Archangel, okay? You're flirting with disaster there. But Trinity Bible Fellowship, we believe angels, demons, and Satan are real. Um, in fact, Paul could say our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I got plenty of flesh and blood quote-unquote enemies that probably would like to see me dead if they knew who I was, that is, okay? And, um, but they're not the real enemy. The real enemy are the demons that are guiding them and encouraging them um, uh, to shut down the preaching of God's word, Okay? And, uh, and believe me, we've got a small church and people think we're insignificant. Look, the word's getting out, whether through radio or the internet, the word is getting out. We're getting the word out. And um, when this big uh, transformation occurs in, uh, in our government, if they can eliminate the opposition, there's going to be persecution unhurled, you know, hurled against the church. And... Um, and we're making an impact. You know, I think God does a lot of powerful things in small places and small churches. Some, there's some mega churches that are doing great work, but there's a lot of mega churches. It's all about entertainment. And if you can keep Christians entertained, they're not going to be warriors. They're going to be spectators. Okay? 
little churches. I'm telling you, that's why we ask for ushers. We ask for this. We can't. We can't even afford to have spectators here. We gotta have warriors, okay? And um, now I'm telling you, don't think you know. All oh, the preachers are gonna get all the big rewards and this. And I'm just a little person. This and that. I don't want to be next in line when, on the when Jesus is handing out re- uh, awards to believers. I don't want to be behind Kai. All that she does, I'd rather have fifty or sixty sloppy Christians between me and her, and then and then we'll see what what I've done that burns up, and what I've done that passes the test, and um, and boy, I tell you. Uh, I hope you know our people like I know our people. And I don't know all of you. But if you get to know each and every individual, man, there's a story. There's a powerful story about how King Jesus lovingly came into their lives and transformed them into the beautiful people they are today. And some of us on the outside, we seem grumpy. But uh, uh, if you're grumpy, just be grumpy for Jesus, Okay. And um, I love grumpy people. I come from a long line of grumpy people. And uh, but we believe in the existence of angels, demons, and Satan. And we believe that man was created in God's image, but we fell. And because we're fallen, we're condemned. We're sinners, and we cannot save ourselves. And, uh, and the only way for us to be saved, we're going to see probably next week, is through trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. You know, there's so many people that acknowledge, okay, yeah, there was this guy, Jesus, probably the greatest man who ever lived, but whatever, I got to live my life. Well, you're going to live your life without Jesus? That's not life, that's death. John's going to be preaching on the prologue. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, talks about the Word. who was in the beginning with God and was God and became a man, became flesh. It says, in him was what? Life. And the life was the light of man. We have that life, okay? But we got to stand firm. Uh, the final days may be upon us. We believe that Jesus was always God, the second person of the Trinity, and will always be God, the second person of the Trinity. But at a point in time, he became a man, added a human nature. He was born to a virgin. He lived a sinless and miraculous life. And he took our punishment for us when he died on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. Okay? He took our punishment for us. Everyone in this room and everybody on the planet Earth right now and throughout history except for the Lord Jesus, he's the only one who perfectly obeyed the Father. Every one of us deserves hell and Jesus gave us heaven. And some of you are going through rough times right now. Okay, but Paul, tell, he doesn't tell us rejoice in the Lord when things go your way. Rejoice in the Lord in the good days. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And how can we rejoice when things go bad? Some of you are suffering a lot more than me. How can we rejoice when things go bad? Because we know that our king has won. He conquered the grave and he provided salvation for us. He took our punishment for us and gives us access into heaven. And then we believe Jesus bodily rose from the dead. He conquered death for us. He conquered the grave. If Jesus' corpse rotted in the tomb, we are fools and we're wasting our time right now. 
okay? But the Bible teaches the tomb was empty and the risen Savior appeared on numerous occasions to individuals and to groups of people proving he had risen from the dead. And that leads us to point 11, that Jesus, after 40 days of appearing to his disciples and to people who weren't even believers that came to Christ like James, his half-brother, after 40 days, he ascended to heaven, okay, and now sits at the Father's right hand and will someday visibly return to reign on the earth for a thousand years. I heard a Christian brother, godly brother, loves the Lord, um, but kind of a confused guy on this point because Jesus was ascending slowly to heaven, okay, and uh, in his resurrection body. And so he figured out that if Jesus is going to return, if he travels like the speed of light, how long? It's like, dude, what are you talking about? He's going to take, what, billions of years to come back? I mean, you know, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he slowly went up into the clouds to make it clear to the apostles, and he told them he's going away, that this is it. You're not going to see me again until you die and go to be with me, okay? But in Acts, in fact, look, look at Acts chapter 1. And uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11 Now, when he had spoken these things, the apostles asked the kind of questions we, we ask. Hey, when are you going to come back and bring the kingdom of God to earth? You know, when are you return? And Jesus pretty much said that. And earlier he had told them, I don't even know the day or the hour of my return. Only my father knows. Because he wasn't tapping into his divine knowledge. Now, once he rises from the dead, all bets are off. He probably knows. And so he basically told them, look, guys, it's, uh, you know, it's like in verse 7. It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. He's saying, this is above your pay grade, guys. Okay? You don't have a need to know when I'm going to return. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus gave us the signs of the times to get closer to the second coming so that we would not be caught off guard. At the same time, our focus should be what are we doing? To the power of the Holy Spirit, are we sharing our faith with others? Are we defending the faith? Okay. Then verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. They were angels who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So just as Jesus left planet Earth, he's going to return and amidst the clouds, okay? And, uh, but he went up slowly. It, it, normally it's like, you know, Jesus was just appearing in the upper room and disappearing in his glorified body, his body that put on immortality when he rose from the dead. It wasn't just the resurrection of a mortal body back to mortality like Lazarus, who would have later on died again. In Jesus' case, his mortal body put on immortality, so he's the firstborn from the dead. 
He rose from the dead never to die again in his immortal body, okay? Well, with that immortal, resurrection, glorified body, and by the way, we're going to have that same type of body ourselves. Our mortal bodies will be raised and put on immortality, okay? But uh, apparently you could travel at the speed of thought, okay? And so Jesus would say, okay, he could be at the Father's right hand. I want to be in the upper room. Boom, he's in the upper room. I want to be somewhere else. Boom, he's go- he would just appear and disappear. The reason why he slowly went up to heaven, and he just, just until he got out of the view of the apostles, and then he probably said, okay, I want to be at the Father's right hand. Boom, he's at the Father's right hand. It was just to make it real clear, guys, I'm going for good. I'll be with you in spirit, but you're not going to see me around. I'm not going to break bread with you again. You're going to come into my presence in heaven, and eventually I'll come back. I'll reign on earth, but don't expect me to come back uh, to visit you, okay? And, uh, and so uh, Jesus ascended into heaven and then promised that he's going to someday return. Look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Twenty-nine to thirty-one. He gives us the signs that precede his return, and then Jesus says in verses twenty-nine to thirty-one, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. And so we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ to the planet Earth. Now, now some Christians believe we'll be snatched away before the tribulation or in the middle of the tribulation or late in the tribulation. I think this is the only coming of Christ. I don't think there's two phases to the second coming of Christ All I can say is whatever your view is, uh, just be willing to suffer for Jesus. The sufferings of the tribulation will be no worse than some of the sufferings that our brothers and sisters are going through right now, except it's going to be global. So when the sufferings of of Christians all throughout the world, when that eventually comes to Europe and America, um, that's going to be the tribulation period. Be willing to suffer and die for Jesus. How can you know that you're going to be willing to suffer and die uh, for Jesus? Only way I can think, when days are good, if you can't live for Jesus, what makes you think when days get bad you're going to be able to die for him? Okay? So just live for Jesus right now, okay? And ask him for the strength. You know, um, there's a reason why I got to go to... Tacoma for an MRI because I'm claustrophobic. And um, I got my fears. You got your fears. But King Jesus can bring us through even the worst of tribulation. And, um, but be willing to suffer for the Lord Jesus no matter what your views are about the end times. We know for sure immediately after the tribulation, Jesus is coming back. Was there another phase to that earlier? I don't think so, but many good Christians, most of my professors believe there is 
But what, regardless of what your view is, be willing to suffer and die for Jesus. If you're living for him, you'll be willing to die for him. Okay? And there's this thing in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, Dying Grace, that people who weren't very courageous but loved Jesus and trusted him for salvation, God gave them that dying grace to get through and to be willing to suffer and die uh, for the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus ascended to heaven. Right now he sits at the Father's right hand. And someday he's going to visibly return and he's going to reign upon the earth for a thousand years. And a lot of people, you know, so many churches hold either the amillennial position where Jesus isn't going to reign on earth. He's just reigning from heaven. And all talk of him reigning on earth is just symbolic. I don't agree with that. Okay. Others, they, they're post-millennial. They believe the church is going to spread the gospel and bring peace to earth. And after the church brings peace to earth, then Jesus is going to come back. That's not what the Bible says. Okay? The Bible says Jesus will sit on the throne of David. The throne of David's not in heaven. It's on earth in Jerusalem. And, um, and so let's take a look at Revelation chapter 19. I mean, Jesus told the apostles they would sit on 12 thrones over the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, Jesus talked about eating bread in his kingdom with Abraham and some of the Old Testament saints. Um, and so the Bible is clear. The book of Isaiah talks about a time of prosperity and peace when uh, everyone's filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the Lord is reigning out of Jerusalem. Then Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. You know that's Jesus. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He comes with God's wrath. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then we see in the following verses... He wins the battle of Armageddon. He takes the Antichrist and the false prophet, two demon-possessed men who rule the world in the last days, and he casts them alive into the lake of fire, Gehenna, what we commonly call hell. Then we come to Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Some fallen angels are bound right now in the abyss. Satan isn't. He's one of those fallen angels that roams freely around the earth, seeking whom he may devour, says Peter. Okay? When he went to, he has access into heaven. Three and a half years before Jesus returns, Michael the Archangel, his angels, Revelation chapter 12, are going to kick them out of heaven. 
But then he's going to come down to earth having great wrath, knowing that his time is short. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Okay? And, um, and he's going to be cast for a thousand years, cast into the bottomless pit. He'll have no say in, uh, in human affairs. Verse 3, And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. I don't see any reason why to not take that literally. It's called premillennialism, that Jesus will return before the millennium, before the thousand years, and literally reign on earth for a thousand years. A thousand years is mentioned six times in this chapter. I think God is inspiring John to get a point across to us. Okay, and until St. Augustine, that was the main view of the early church, that Jesus would return after the tribulation and reign on earth for a thousand years. Uh, but after these things, he must be released for a little while. So Satan will be released after the thousand years. Verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark, the 666, on their foreheads or on their hands, without the mark of the beast you can't buy or sell. Revelation 13, verses 16 to 18. Of course, if you accept the mark of the beast, you're damned to hell forever. Revelation 14, 9 to 11. Um, they had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And he goes on, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. The first resurrection is, is uh, of believers is when Jesus returns after the tribulation and then he reigns a thousand years with the church, with believers, with the assembly. And, um, and you look at the scriptures, the scriptures doesn't just, this is focusing on those who've been beheaded during the tribulation period. But scriptures talks about believers from all ages, Old Testament and New Testament will reign with King Jesus, Okay. Not only will we reign over the nations, eventually, I don't know if it's during the millennium or afterwards, we're going to even reign over the angels. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you know we will judge the angels? So when God the Son became a man, he was made a little lower than the angels for a while. But as the exalted, glorified Son of Man, he is now above the angels, not just in his divine nature, but also in his human nature. And someday we will never become God. But our human nature will be exalted. Exalted human beings with their glorified bodies, which won't happen until Jesus returns, will be above the angels. Okay? And um, I don't, I'm just the kind of guy, I don't focus on the crowns. The rewards. My job is to focus, and your job is to focus on the cross. You got to deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow Jesus in the path of obedience. So focus on the cross. I'll let God decide what kind of rewards I get. I'll be honest with you. You know, in the millennial kingdom, I'm not Jewish. I'm not going to get a piece of Israel. If he gives me one block, in Newark, New Jersey, 
and it's my job to mop the floor there for a thousand years. I just want to be there. I want to be there serving the king in his kingdom. And uh, I'll let him decide. That's God's business to decide what kind of rewards I get, what kind of crowns I get. In heaven, by the way, you get crowns, what do you do? You throw them right back at the throne of God. But I got to cross the bear. And um, how am I doing on that? I don't know. I don't know. Some mornings, I'm about four foot eight when I wake up. I got to stretch out to get to the, you know, once I stretch out, then, you know, people are pretty impressed. I stand well over five feet tall. But uh, but whatever the case, um, there's a lot of days I don't feel like doing what God's called me to do. But I'm not here for me and for my comfort. I'm here to serve King Jesus. You're here to serve King Jesus. And uh, so you got to carry that cross. But I'm, t- I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the king is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to reign upon the earth for a thousand years. Look at verses 11 to 15. Uh, So basically Satan is in verses 7 to 10 is going to be released. After Jesus reigns on earth for a thousand years, Satan gets released and leads all these people who don't have glorified bodies. Many of them, you know, we're going to be we're going to be teaching people who enter into the millennial kingdom. Some of them as babies. Okay. And we're going to be trained, raising them and training them and teaching them about Jesus. We'll be able to take them on tours once a year to Jerusalem to see King Jesus. You know, I might be holding hands someday with a little boy. And uh, I might say, hey, Ralphie boy, look at the king's hands. Look at his feet. You know why he got those scars? Ralphie boy's going to say, no, why? Say, Ralphie boy, he got those scars for you and for me. He died on the cross for our sins. And some of these people with natural bodies growing up in the millennium are going to be becoming Christians, okay? A lot aren't. You know how we Christians long for the second coming of Christ? the return of Jesus to the planet Earth, there's going to be a lot of people growing up in the millennium. They say, I don't like that that King Jesus rules over us with an iron rod. I want to do lots of sinful things, and he won't let me. He's got these guys working for him that have immortal bodies. Every time I try to act out on my sinful desires in a really nasty way, one of them shows up, puts me in my place. I don't like that. I can't wait for the return of Satan. There's going to be people longing for the return of Satan. When he gets released from the bottomless pit, he's going to lead this huge one final revolt against King Jesus, and then King Jesus is going to, going to shut him down. In Revelation 20, verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. That's, that's Gehenna. That's hell. Where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You realize that there's preachers right now who call themselves evangelicals, Bible-believing preachers? I debated one of them. He's a friend of mine. I debated one of them, but there's preachers right now that call themselves evangelical, Bible-believing Christians, say the Bible is God's word without error, and they preach that hell is temporary. 
that the uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth is just in that final moment, and then they just cease to exist. Now, that's Jehovah's Witness stuff, that Seventh-day Adventist stuff. For 2,000 years, the church has taken seriously passages like this that they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Even humans who accept the mark of the beast, Revelation 14, 9 to 11, it says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And it says they have no rest day and night. And that's what I asked Chris Date, my friend, about that when I debated him. Um, how can they have no rest day and night and yet they don't even exist? That doesn't make any sense at all. Jesus explained hell is a place where uh, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's a place for people who want to spend eternity apart from God, they get their wish, and it is horrific. Okay? Yet we have been so programmed by our culture to think um, that we're being pushy when we share Jesus with others, okay? I mean, if you walked up, if you walked up to somebody and you gave them a million dollars, would you feel guilty? Would you say, oh, man, I gave this guy a million dollars. I shouldn't have been so pushy. I might have hurt his feelings. He might have thought, Oh, gee, I never earned a million dollars. Now I feel rotten because this guy gave me a million dollars. No, you wouldn't feel guilty for that. But when you share Jesus with somebody, you think that's not worth more than a million dollars? We live in a culture of lies, a culture of fake news. And when you share Jesus, oh, look at that intolerant bigot. No, when you share Jesus with others, you're trying to share the greatest gift ever given. You're trying to share Jesus with other people because you don't want to see them tormented day and night, forever and ever, uh, in the lake of fire. And uh, so verses 11 to 15 in Revelation 20, then I saw, it is after the thousand years, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. Let me tell you, if you came in here and you're not in the Lamb's book of life, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're really going to try to go through life, and death is going to beat you down, and you're willing to leave this planet without Jesus? That's insanity. That's the problem with our culture. Our culture has rejected Jesus, so you turn on the television set or you get online and you see nothing but insanity. Jesus is not welcome in America. Well, great. Now we don't even know which bathroom to use. We don't even know who we are anymore. We think we could just kick the creator out of his universe and then we can recreate ourselves and identify as whatever we want to identify as. No. Jesus said in the beginning, God created the male and female. Okay? This is God's universe. Get with his program. But if your name's not in the Lamb's Book of Life, you need to trust in Jesus 
Acknowledge you're a sinner and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades, Hades, a temporary place of torment, delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works. See, you got a choice. You can either be judged by your works or you can get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life by trusting in Jesus for salvation and then your sins are forgiven. But there's people like Mahatma Gandhi in his autobiography. He said, I could never accept that Jesus was God. If Jesus is God, then I'm God too. If I'm not God, then Jesus is not God. Well, guess what, Mahatma Gandhi? On the judgment day, you're going to be standing there in your own righteousness, which Isaiah says is filthy rags, next to King Jesus and his perfect righteousness. See, it's all about Jesus' perfect righteousness. You either receive that as a free gift because you acknowledge, I deserve hell. I'm a sinner. I'm going to trust in Jesus. You receive Jesus' perfect righteousness as a free gift. His righteousness is credited to your account, imputed to your account. Or you can say, no, I'm going to stand there in my own righteousness. I'm really, really good. And then you're going to stand in your righteousness, your so-called righteousness next to King Jesus. Let me tell you, your righteousness, my righteousness, and our own strength is closer to Adolf Hitler's righteousness, if you can even call it that, than the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus' righteousness is infinite righteousness. Okay? And um, so please, I, I beg you, if you haven't trusted in Jesus for salvation, ask him today to be your God and Savior. Trust in him alone for salvation. And now, but if you, so when I stand there on a judgment day, God the Father is going to say, well, you know, you, you were a filthy sinner who deserves the flames of hell, but you trusted in my son Jesus for salvation. And he started cleaning you up, but he didn't get finished with you until he returned. You got your resurrection body, but when God the Father looks at me or you or any other believer, he sees the righteousness of his son. Your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you want to be judged by your works, I don't care how good you are in the eyes of man, you're going to fall short of the righteousness of Christ. Okay? And um, I'm, I'm not saying that you didn't do as much good as Jesus did. I'm saying apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Nothing. Um, hopefully there's a lot of good things that could be said about Phil Fernandez. I'm hoping. But if there is, those are the changes that King Jesus made in me. That's not Phil Fernandez before Jesus came in his life. Okay? King Jesus, is, he's, he's in the business of making all things new. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation the old is gone, the new has come. Um, they're judged according to their works. Verse 14, that you want to be saved by God's grace as a free gift, by God's grace through faith in Jesus. You don't want to be judged by your works. You're judged by your works, you're going to hell. Okay? Well, I just want what I earned. 
Guess what Phil Fernandez earned? Guess what you earned? We earned the eternal flames of hell. Any sin, even the smallest sin, is rebellion against God, the ultimately worthy being. That makes us deserving of the ultimate in punishment. But praise God, if there's a substitute sacrifice, the substitute sacrifice has to be ultimately worthy, has to be God. But God is God, can't die, so God the Son became one of us, became a man to represent us and to die, to be sacrificed for us so that through the God-man and his sacrifice, we can receive heaven even though we deserve um, the flames of hell. But Jesus will someday visibly return to earth and rule for a thousand years. He'll judge the living and the dead and reign. And then after that, he'll reign over the entire universe. You get the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, new heavens and new earth. Jesus said heaven and earth would pass away, but his words would not pass away. Okay? And then Jesus will reign over the entire universe um, for all eternity. And so look there at, uh, at verse 15. And anyone, okay, well, verse 14 and 15, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Gehenna. This is the second death. The first death is when you physically die. The second death is when those who died and didn't accept Jesus, they're in torment in Hades right now. At the great right throne judgment at the end of the thousand years, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. Okay? Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay? So Trinity Bible Fellowship as a church, we believe what the early church believed. We believed that Jesus is coming back. We believe that the king will return. That's why that ancient creed, Christ has died Christ is risen, Christ will come again. If things get so bad, don't say, oh, they'll never get that bad. They got that bad in Germany under the Nazis. They got that bad in the Soviet Union under Lenin and Stalin. What makes you think America's got an, ex an exemption? If there's a knock on the door late at night and you got no way to protect your family and these Government agents who are at that point would really just be thugs come busting into your house, okay? Instead of saying, oh, me, what am I going to do? You should be saying to yourself, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And we got we to gotta love and pray for those who persecute us. Um, and so um, Jesus ascended to heaven, sits at the Father's right hand. Someday he will visibly return to the planet Earth and rule over the Earth for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, he'll judge the living and the dead. Only those who trust in Jesus for salvation will be in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then uh, Jesus will reign over the entire universe for all eternity, he's coming back. The king will return. A lot of our powerful people on this planet don't believe. They, they, they believe Jesus is some irrelevant guy. Yeah, he was a great guy. He came 2,000 years ago, and then they killed him, and we don't have to worry about him anymore. Let me tell you, the king rose. The king sits enthroned in heaven. 
and the king is coming back. Amen. And by the way, you say that, you know, there was a guy in Los Angeles, he applied for one police department, but he filled out the psychological evaluation, like 500 questions, and he put down that he believes that uh, he put true for a statement, something like uh, um, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, something along those lines, or, or Jesus rose from the dead. And when he got, he passed everything when he got to the psychological evaluation. All he had to do was pass that, and he'd be a full-time police officer. They looked at it and said, wait, you believe Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead? You believe that, uh, that ancient myth? And he's like, well, I don't think it's an ancient myth, but I do believe that. And he got rejected. Okay. So the next time he applied for it was for LAPD. He did everything real well, got to the psychological evaluation, and one of the 500 questions was, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ to the planet Earth? And he was like, oh, no, what do I do? You know, so he put yes. Then he gets to the psychologist, who he found out was also an atheist, just like the earlier psychologist, and the guy's reading through it, and he says, you really believe in the second coming of Jesus to the planet Earth? And he was so tempted to say, oh, I must have filled that out wrong. No, I don't, you know, I'll get the job, I'll ask forgiveness and move on. And, um, but he said, uh, he said, yeah, I believe in the second coming of Christ. And this atheist psychologist looked at it and said, uh, wow, that's, that's interesting. We really need guys in this police department that have the courage to stand up for their convictions, even if I don't agree with them. And he ended up getting on LAPD. He was actually second in command during the Rodney King episode. He was second in command. So he would have been the next guy in line to be the chief of police. But um, things didn't work out because political correctness came into the picture and, and stuff like that. But he was an elder, probably might still be, in Pastor John MacArthur's church. Can't remember the guy's name, otherwise I'd tell you. But um, but Joe Biden asked me, or if Bill Gates asked me, or Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, if they asked where the head of the UN, he's a Portuguese guy, I'm ashamed to say, because I'm half Portuguese. Um, they say, you know, you're not one of those people who believes in the second coming of Christ. Are you? I'd say, yes, I am. You're not one of those people who doesn't believe the second coming of Christ. Because <laughs> now I gotta now I gotta quote Mr. T. I pity the fool, you know. Now I gotta pray for you, man. And it's like, get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? I did, I had a, I did it at an interview once where the guy he acted like it was a Bible radio show, online radio show, and he acted like he was a Christian. Then after about 10 minutes into his question, I realized this guy's anti-Christian. Then I realized he's an atheist. He's like, how could God be just if he sends me to hell forever? So there's only two places you can go, either heaven or hell. And, and he said, ah, why would God send me to hell? And said, that, that can't be a good God if he's going to send me to hell, place of torment forever and ever, and blah, blah, blah. And so he said, and finally he reached the point where he said, well, what, what do you think heaven is like? I said, well, heaven is a place Will you serve and worship King Jesus forever and ever and ever? You know what this guy said to me? I'd never want to go there. 
And I said, oh, okay, well, then God's not sending you there. You're sending yourself, man. Don't blame him. He's giving you an option. Hell is a place for people who don't want to serve King Jesus. But you don't want to worship the God who created you? You don't want to worship the God who sustains you in existence? You don't want to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? The God of Peter, Paul, and John? My God, your God? You don't want to worship him? He's got a place for you. He's not going to force you to worship him forever and ever. Okay? You got to make the choice. I hope everybody leaves this building. I don't know how you were when you came in. I think most of you are saved, trusting in Jesus. But even if you weren't, I hope you leave this building trusting in the immovable rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just look at a couple other passages and we'll just close. Next week we'll talk about salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Poor Pat, I'm getting off script again. Hebrews chapter 12. But I just, the, whole, the whole earth shakes. It's crazy because last night I was just like, man, Jesus is going to shake the world. And so I wrote it down on my notes. And then this morning, Chris, led by the Holy Spirit, is singing, The Whole Earth Shakes, the King of Glory. King of Glory is coming back. He's going to shake this world. But look at, uh, at Hebrews 12, verses uh, 25 to 29. The author of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 12, verses 25 to 29. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, that you don't refuse God. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Let me tell you, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Let me repeat that. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. I don't care if it's the United States military the Chinese government's military, the Russian military, the Iranian military, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But there's one unshakable thing. It's a kingdom which cannot be shaken. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I'm telling you, Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. You know, you, you know pastors will think, well, I, I, as if we did it ourselves, I built a big church and we got a nice building. Hey, it's coming down. It was like the apostles telling Jesus, look at the temple, how beautiful it is. 
Jesus is saying, man, the Romans are going to come. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. You can go to Jerusalem to this day and find out that that's the case. The Western Wall, that's not the temple. That marks the temple grounds. It's not part of the temple. Ask the tour guide, show me where the temple was. And you look, and all these stones, not one upon the other. This whole planet Earth is going to be shaken. The whole universe is going to be shaken. And you got to cling to the kingdom of God, which is the only thing that cannot be shaken. And then we'll close with Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. You know, I'm telling you, when we start losing our jobs for being Christians, you're going to say, man, my world's being shaken. We got people got kicked out of the military. I can't even mention why, because I don't want the message to be removed from uh, YouTube, like they took down two of our messages. People removed from the military, lost their careers. We could lose our freedom. And I feel like, man, my whole world's being shaken. Let me tell you something. Well, then cling to the kingdom of God. Cling to King Jesus, because his kingdom and his kingdom alone cannot be shaken. Isaiah 40, verses um, 6 to 8, the voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. Got a lot of people that are grass, and they think they're invincible, and they badmouth Jesus and his people. But surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I'm telling you, even the people you love, even Christian brothers, the, the grass withers, man. The people are as grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let me tell you, this planet has not seen the last of King Jesus. The King of Kings is coming back. It could be in our lifetime. I don't know how much worse things could get. It could be in our lifetime. The King of Kings is coming back. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, King Jesus is coming back, and he will shake this planet. The governments of man will crumble. The militaries of man will crumble. The earth will quake. The earth will shake. King Jesus is going to shake everything that can be shaken. The only thing that can't be shaken is his kingdom. Trust in King Jesus and in him alone for salvation. He is all-powerful, but he is also all-good. We serve a good king. He loves his people. He will come back for us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, may we, may we proclaim with the ancient church what the church has been proclaiming for 2,000 years that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. That is the hope of the church. We don't hope in the United Nations we don't hope in the World Economic Forum. We don't even hope in the American government. Our hope 
was found on the pages of human history. Our hope was found in a manger. It was found in a carpenter. It was found on a wooden cross. It was found in an empty tomb. Jesus is our hope. He's the only hope that this world has ever had. And so I pray, Lord, that each one of us would acknowledge we're sinners, we cannot save ourselves, and we would trust in the Lord Jesus and in him alone for salvation. We know that he died for our sins, he conquered the grave for us by rising from the dead, and we know he will keep his promise. He will return. The leaders of this world say he's not coming back, and they mock us, but he will return. He will take his stand upon the earth. He will shepherd the nations with an iron rod, and he will make things right. May we trust in Jesus alone for salvation.